Well, hello everybody. My name's Robert Snow, and welcome back to our first episode of Monster Soundwave, an unofficial Dungeons and Dragons podcast of 2022. Uh, we've got some fun stuff that we're going to get into today. We're going to talk about Strixhaven. We're going to talk about the errata that got released uh, at the end of December there. Uh, maybe we'll talk just a little bit about uh, what's coming in 2022. But first, I'd like to say hello to my co-host, Evan, is here with me again. Hello, Evan. How are you? Oh, I'm pretty good, and uh, glad to be here. Glad to be ringing in the new year. It's true. And also joining us for the first time, our friend Joe McElroy. How's it going, Joe? Things have been going pretty well. That's awesome. Um, so, Joe, we're about to talk about Strixhaven, and I don't want to spoil the plot on that, but I just want to take a couple of minutes to talk to you about D&D. Um, so how did you get into D&D? When did you kind of start getting into it? Oh, like many of us thing is how we are all friends from college and all we get, or at least how I got into it was because of hearing from another friend of ours, Ash. She brought me into one. Of, I think it was actually you running the first game, uh, for three, five in a random dorm, uh, meeting hall. And it was like 14 of us. It was a big, big group, but it was also the first time that I actually got to sit down, create a character, play some D&D. Sure, it took like about 20 minutes to get around uh, to each individual person when we were going through combat or something. But it was a very welcoming and enjoyable experience. And just, it bit me hard. And I've been doing it since. All right. And so now uh, here we are in 2022, 10 uh, ish, more than 10 years later. 12. I don't know. We're older. Um, and uh, you're running a game right now. Is that right? Yep. Uh, over the years, been running a few games a uh, couple of times, mostly online with uh, like running a game for you guys and then was running a game in person going through the Storm King's Thunder campaign um, over at one of the local mead halls in Baltimore. And now I've, with COVID and everything, had started up running another game for some old uh, WoW guildmates, uh, running them through Descent into Avernus, which has been, I think we've had our eighth session since Sunday. So it's been good. Nice. Great. Um, and Evan, you finished your Curse of Strahd campaign. We did. And now you've started a new campaign. You want to tell us a little bit about that and kind of what you're running that what you're running your group through? Uh, it's interesting. So after Curse of Strahd, we decided uh, that we wanted to do something a little different. Curse of Strahd, you know, is more horror aligned. And so we wanted to do, you know, do a kind of a palette changer, change of pace. And so we're going with the more, uh, it's more epic fantasy. We're going with a 5e conversion of Red Hand of Doom. And uh, kind of by way of that, going through some of the uh, Essentials kit, the Dragon of Ice Spire kit to get to that. And, you know, Red Hand of Doom is very much in the vein of, you know, very much epic fantasy, stop the evil uh, army from taking over that kind of adventure. It's kind of, you know, 
moving away from, you know, again, a horror undead focused thing to, you know, armies and dragons and monsters, more, much more traditional fantasy, which, you know, stereotypic, ironically, you know, the, that's the stereotype. You don't see as much of that specifically because it's so stereotypical. That's true. Now, you said Red Hand of Doom, a 5e conversion. Now, is this something that you're converting, or is it something that you were able to find online somewhere? Or, or you know, what, is, what does that mean, a 5e conversion? Uh, short answer is yes. I mean, there are lots of uh, conversions online. I've done a little shorthand. It's not super difficult to do, and you can find plenty of conversion guides online. It's a popular enough 3.5 module that there's plenty of guides online. And a lot of it's just simple drag and drop, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, a, an orc or a hobgoblin or, you know, a goblin in 3.5 converts to an orc or a goblin or a hobgoblin in 5e pretty well, you know, with some minor tweaks here and there. Um, some of the NPCs require a bit more tweaking, you know, looking at CRs and whatnot. But overall, I mean, it's not super difficult to convert. So, I mean, that's, it's not, like, I mean, it's not hugely labor intensive to do that. And like I said, there's plenty of guides online and flat out, you know, some, you know, packs that straight up convert NPCs wholesale to 5e, you know, if you don't want to go through the, do the legwork yourself. So, I mean, it wasn't super difficult. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah, it, as if there wasn't enough 5th edition content out there. Right. Um, I mean... It's just amazing. I think I know there's a new edition coming in 2024, but fifth edition has so much in it. You could literally run games out of this. I feel like for another 15 years, you know, mm -hmm. with all, with all the different books and uh, you know, then all of the stuff that's been released on places like DMs guild and drive through RPG. And then, you know, all the kickstarters that have, you know, released different things. There's, there's just such so much content out there. Okay, well, let's get into just briefly. We're not gonna, we're not doing a whole episode on this or anything, but um, we got a little bit of errata, errata. Somebody tell me the correct way to pronounce this because I, I never say it right. I'd have to go to Google and get that that to <laughs> pronounce it for me. <laughs> Great. Pretty Perfect. sure it's errata though. All right, so there's some errata out there, um. And basically Dungeons and Dragons every now and then they'll go back and they'll say, okay, what we wrote in this book is now either canonically wrong or uh, we had to make a change. Sometimes it's as simple as a misprint, you know, Hey, we, we said that, you know, this item gives you a plus five to strength. And what we meant was it gives you a plus five to your athletics checks or something like that. Um, but this one was, it's primarily focused around Volo's Guide to Monsters, although they did update some other stuff. And it kind of stems, I think, from trying to be a little bit more politically correct and to not paint races, uh, different races in D&D &D into such a tight corner. Yeah. And so the races that got an update here that changed were drow orcs beholders kobolds gnolls mind flayers um they all got some kind of change as far as volo's guide 
Now, I think that the first part would have been fine. They just changed one thing in the beginning where they basically added a sentence that said, uh, remember that like the races in this book are viewed as Volo has viewed them in the Forgotten Realms campaign, but uh, there's lots of different worlds out there and you know the and different planes and these races exist in them. And I think that would have been fine. And instead, basically what they did is they just cut all of the, they basically cut all of the different like lore from these six races out of the book. They just said, delete these three paragraphs, delete these three paragraphs of the lore about these, delete those. Um, They deleted a section about cannibalism and sacrifice. Um, So they just took like a, tons of paragraphs out of things um and what's more kind of the backlash online was they didn't replace it with anything there was no oh this is like instead of this this they did replace some things in some of the other books because they did release some errata for some other books like for instance in uh uh what's the one uh in a tomb of annihilation mm-hmm. they there was a disease called like monkey madness fever or something like that and they've changed that to blue mist fever because maybe monkey madness had some negative connotations to it or something but with this one they've in volo's guide in particular they've cut all this lore information out do you guys have any thoughts on this or or any like predictions on on why they went this direction uh, I think this is Watsy just kind of gutting it with a truncheon, and it's their version of like trying to do the best they can with a very complicated subject that is really messy and has a really ugly history. Because I mean, when you're, I mean, I, you could have an entire episode about this. You could have five or six episodes talking about you know race and racism in D&D, and fantasy in particular. Because, I mean, when we're talking about some of these races, I mean, there is an actual, like... There is, there is like, actual racist tropes baked into some of them. Like, especially orcs. Uh, um, And, again, I don't want to go off on a tangent here. But, I mean, there, you know, like, where there's smoke, there's fire, and there's, there's legitimate concern to be had there. At the same time, I mean, again, there's... And, you know, there's a whole lot you can get into. Ultimately... There's not a whole lot Watsy can do that isn't going to make some people angry. And I feel like just removing all the lore is just kind of their attempt. Like, okay, we're wiping the the slate clean. Now, if you want to make orcs or whatever race in your world, you can do that. But now, you know, it's, 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 it's their attempt, I feel like, to say, okay, just make them whatever you want to be in your world. Now, you know, they, but, but it's, I'm trying to think of how you want to, how I want to phrase it. You know, it's, it's kind of the, uh, a sanitizing attempt, it feels like. That isn't so much addressing the problem as it is just kind of removing themselves from the equation, it kind of feels like. I don't know. I kind of feel you on that same sense. Like, the majority of the stuff that I read from the errata, like, hey, removing alignment traits or putting in a couple of lines that are like, these are some suggested characteristics about these but you can that you can use for possible inspiration, but they are not the uh, hard and fast rules for how these right. races are meant to be played. Right. Now, I don't, 
I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily, but I mean, it's, it's one of those things where like the people who are going to be upset and say, oh, they're being politically correct. They're ruining D&D are always going to be upset about this sort of thing. They're never going to be happy. At the same token, yep. the, the people who are going to say, oh, they didn't go far enough, you know, are never are like, I mean, they're all. So, I mean, like, you're never going to please everyone. No. With this sort of thing that that's that's going to be true. Could they have done more? Absolutely. They could sure. have done like more. you mentioned about how that they could have actually supplemented some more of that stuff with more information instead of just gutting right. uh, a lot of that information out of the books instead. Right now. This could be a bit of my own limited experience of just the people that I have played D and D with, either by running games for people or like joining in games with you guys and all that. Any place that would have actually come up from where these races are evil? No, they're just evil because that's that's the enemy that you're supposed to face in this given scenario. It's not a matter of race or anything. That's just hey, that's just the enemy you're against right here. And in my personal games, like. I'll have orcs that yeah, they might be the bloodthirsty uh, enemies that you're facing against and they just raided a town. And yet in the next town over, you got uh, Plarg the cook that is the best cook in the entire realm and everybody respects them. Right. Or other kind of things where just, I mean, how many of, how often some of the lore that uh, of recent books that have been put out for, you know, there's the good drow, there's the bad drow, there's the good kenku, the bad kenku, the lizard folk that eat people, the lizard folk that are just fishermen on the wharfs. Yeah. It's right. kind of all... Oh, you. The other thing with D&D and the flexibility of it is that that's always been kind of rule zero. The DM can do whatever they want with the world. Rules, if it doesn't fit your thought or what you want to run, you have absolute freedom to change it to meet the vision you want to run for you and your party. Right. And if you're playing a game with someone who's like, no, 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 orcs are always evil because they're bestial, savage humanoids who are subhuman. Maybe you should just game with a different group of people. Like that, exactly. That's, that's a warning sign right there, which I guess is maybe the point when you no longer make that the norm and you're playing with someone who has changed it to be that. That's your warning sign. So I guess, you know, that's kind of that's, uh, you know, maybe the point is getting away from that. And we, you know, that's, you know, singling that like, oh, OK, it's not the game. It's you. Yep. So, because um, it also helps with those arguments that may come up with certain, you know, those certain players that may, may be like, hey, you can't run that per that race or that NPC that way. That goes against their nature. That goes against what's written in the book, where, again, the entire thing of D&D, it starts with the DM can change things to meet right. what they want to run yeah. with. Exactly. Also, I'll just jump in here. Uh, Drit Stewart is probably the most famous uh, D&D. hear that it's like oh well when we write that like Knowles like worship this evil god you know Yanagu like okay well uh, there can be Knowles who don't worship Yanagu exactly uh, right. it's like there are drow who don't worship Lolf and and other you know similar things so I I think what we're gonna see is that in uh Mordenkind's Monsters of the Multiverse uh that's coming out later this month and 
will eventually be available for sale on its own. I think they're going to have some kind of lore type stuff in there for these races that maybe describes different like packs or groups of, of, you know, these people um, and illuminates them maybe a little bit more. I, I think one of the interesting things here is nobody has a problem with an evil character, right? Like mm-hmm. right. Strad Zarevich is an evil vampire and nobody's ever out there being like Strad von Zarevich is, you know, misrepresentation of billionaire vampires. Or right. Exactly. Like, you know, it's like, you know, he's obviously evil. Um, and so I think maybe what, if they really want to um, kind of change around how people view these different races is give us some NPCs of these races who are good guys. Uh, and, Give us some named, you know, mini boss, book boss, chapter boss um, characters who are bad guys, you know, instead of, hey, here's a Noel Packmaster. He's the boss. Like, give him a name. Give him his own stat block. Like, make it something where it's like he's a Noel. He's also a bad guy. You know, like he's making it a little more. He's, he's yeah, right. He's bonk the Noel champion of yanagu and he's gonna right but he's not just a bad guy because he's a Noel. he's not a bad guy because he's a Noel. he's a bad guy because he's a cult leader of this evil deity exactly you know and so i think i don't know we'll have to see this is wizards of the coast they they've got to make some decisions here and again it's a very touchy subject and it's a very touchy time I think most of the people who are complaining either don't play that much D&D or have a whole lot of time on their hand to complain yeah. about, hey, you changed a racial lore point for one of my tabletop role-playing games. That, that you know, ultimately, like, I mean, yes, lore is nice, but, like, you know what I've never been super upset about when I got a D&D book? Like... I mean, because I mean, like, as a D, like, especially if you're a DM, I mean, like, you can change the lore back if you want. Like, I mean, if you're that desperate about it, I mean. Right. I agree. Okay. So we're going to move on now to our topic of the show. Uh, not a ton of news. There are books coming out. There's a gift set that has alternate covers coming out later this month in January. Uh, and then we've got Call of the Nether Deep. Uh, I don't know, coming out in March. And then we don't know about everything else, but there's probably going to be a manual of the planes or something similar to it. Uh, oh, I hope or, so. Or the multiverse or something coming later this year, but we haven't gotten any new announcements about it yet. So let's go into something that we've had in our hands now for uh, like, what, three weeks? And that is the new Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition book, Strixhaven, A Curriculum of Chaos. How are you guys liking this book? Just give me your your overall thoughts so far. I liked it, but I will say disappointed isn't the right word. I just feel like uh, I guess I was maybe expecting something a little different. I was expecting a book that was maybe more crunch and less adventure. I guess I was expecting like 50% crunch, 50% adventure, and I feel like we got 30% crunch, 70% adventure. 
I definitely agree to you on that. Like, compare it to the other two Magic the Gathering campaign setting books that Wizards has released. Mythos of Theris and Guild Master's Guide to Ravnica. Both of them had a lot of lore material and locations and interactions with different uh, elements and people within those worlds that made them feel more alive whereas kind of Strixhaven like you get the initial chapter to describe each of the colleges and the like the head the headmasters um that run them but beyond and uh some background choices for the actual characters and all but beyond that it just felt like a very entry-level kid-friendly D&D romp yeah like, and I, I, I hate to kind of put it to this way to describe it because I do actually really like some of the stuff that's written in this, but right. it really feels like without knowing the stuff from the actual Magic the Gathering set to a lot, it really feels like Wizards of the Coast really wanted to publish their own version of Hogwarts. And that's what this feels At like. One hundred and ten percent. Like, like, like. Let, let's you know. Let's not mince words here. This is Hogwarts. I mean, like, no, like, no mince words about it. This is Hogwarts. This is Watsy saying, which is the coast saying, "Hey, you know what? Millennials and you know people coming of age really love Harry Potter. You know what would be really awesome to have a Harry Potter like magic campus with a bunch of shenanigans." with magic students, hey, let's have, you know, a Magic the Gathering set that's all about that. And so they, you know, so they do that with Magic the Gathering. And then them saying, hey, now let's, you know, do that Magic the Gathering set and, you know, let's cut, you know, our cocaine with crystal meth and bring it to D&D now. And, oh and, my gosh. And, I, and I mean, and that's and that's exactly what it is. I mean, they're they're you know they're combining you know they the you know what was already a bringing Harry Potter into Magic the Gathering and now bringing it into D and D. And I mean, there's nothing absolutely nothing wrong with it. And I mean, you you can argue, well, no, it's not technically Harry Potter. No, this is how it's different from Harry Potter. Sure. No, no, it's Harry Potter. I mean, but let, let's yeah, let's, it's let, it's let's Magic the Gathering adult. flavored. I mean, yeah, but it's let's be adults It's Harry Potter. I'll say this, the adventures in particular, as I was reading through them, there's four adventures in the yeah. book that form kind of a mini campaign. Mm-hmm. They reek of, <laughs> of, of, of not just like, oh, hey, we created a magical campus and some cool, like, um, you know, the, the, the stuff the the mathy crunchy part of it is kind of cool but then the adventures i was like how did they not get like copyright strikes from jk rowling and from i mean seriously i i cannot imagine that this would be a campaign that they could ever run like in a twitch stream like if i just can't imagine that they a don't have jk rowling's blessing and B that like Harry Potter, WB, whoever is like whoever owns that intellectual property isn't looking at this and going like, wow, like chapter one is a whole lot like book one. I mean, they have things like, you know, 
sports tournaments. They have things where they're skulking around the different parts of the campus, a.k.a. Hogwarts Castle, like looking for like monsters that have gotten loose. Uh, you declare a house and, you know, I'm, you have the different houses. Right, exactly. You, you, you join a different you join a different college instead of a house and they all are based on very like particular types of magic. Um, like Witherbloom is clearly strict or, you know, Witherbloom is clearly Slytherin. Yeah. Um, and then on top of all that, you know, you've the, I, I don't want to spoil everything, but the, the big bad foes are these like, mage hunter type people and it's just like wait a second like it, it this is like straight up just ripping off harry potter yep now i will say yeah. chapters one two and three uh or at least the first yeah i guess the first half of three i loved and i'm like i want more of this and why isn't there more of this why aren't chapters four five and six just more of what we got in chapters one, two, and three. Because I think there's actually some really great stuff in here. And I would only run this game, like, I would only run the campaign if I was like, hey, like, I want to, like, just have everything written out for me. Otherwise, I would just run a different campaign at the College of Strixhaven. Yeah. Um, yeah like how that isn't Strixhaven. quite so, like, ripped from the cliches of Harry Potter and Percy Jackson you know, books. So yeah. that, that point you put, put right there is probably the best way that I think that I would actually would want to incorporate Strixhaven. And this is actually one of the things that's kind of in the beginning of the book as well, is that if your world or place that uh, has some sort of magical institution, Strixhaven is kind of a perfect drop in for something of that nature. The world itself of Strixhaven, on the other hand, and the campaign adventure is doesn't give enough of that, which is unfortunate. Like, I loved the artwork in this was is gorgeous. And the description of like the arc stones and the different areas around the campus and the uh, the frontier badlands that are outside of the campus area that those descriptions are great. I love those kind of things. I want to know more about this world, but it's just not presented well enough to really pull more material from that. I do think that there are some just really excellent maps in here. Oh yeah. I think the, uh, the biblioplex is one that I was just like, this is great. This is the totally... rose stage for like, uh, any good tavern or something for a presentation. They've got like, you know, a cafe and a tavern. And I mean, there's, there's great maps in here. I'm not trying to like diss on them at all for that stuff. And the story isn't, terrible if not just completely ripped out of out of you know what we have already read in in you know junior fiction yeah. magic yeah. magical titles you know in the past um uh at the end of the book it, it, it and it does focus a lot on um 
what I would say, you know, it, it, it focuses on the five colleges. It gives us lots of lore about them, gives us maps of all of them. Uh, we get a nice pull-out map at the back of the book of the different colleges. Mm -hmm. um, that's just, you know, gorgeous. So I, I think there's a lot there. They give us, you know, NPCs that are from the different colleges. They give us, um, you know, different levels of professors and apprentices, like, within the different colleges. Um, but let's, let's jump into these first couple of chapters. We'll talk about what we like in them. Um, so, uh, what we've got in, you know, this, uh, this wonderful book here is we've got, um, five colleges that are all kind of part of Strixhaven University. And, uh, the colleges are Lorehold, Prismari, Quandrix, Silverquill, and Witherbloom. And each college was founded by a, uh, very powerful dragon. Um, who has kind of like created that. And uh, that's kind of like where things come from. Uh, should we talk about what do you guys want to talk about first? Do you guys want to talk about Lord? Would you rather talk about like character options that are presented in the book? Like I like I like the let's start let's start with the lore bits first because like each of the colleges, obviously just the names alone, they represent um can't remember the word for it, but like uh, they re represent some sort of duality. So like Lorehold has order and chaos as the focus in its college. Prismari is perfection and expression. Quandrix is theory and substance. Silverquill is radiance and shadow. And Witherbloom is growth and decay. And as I was reading through these kind of things, because I didn't know anything about the Magic the Gathering set, because I haven't played Magic in, since the last Return to Ravnica set was released. But as soon as I started reading about those things, I felt all bits of nostalgia for... Ravnica and it's 10 different guilds and it feels a little bit like those have been kind of consolidated into one representation for each and I just I appreciate that so that is definitely really nice and resonates with me and the kind of things that I enjoy within D&D and magic itself yeah I, plus I who, who, would, who would disagree with not wanting to go to a college that's founded by a dragon yeah and I think one of the great things that we get here is we get a nice firm base for if you want to run a campaign at this college, there's plenty of lore. There's plenty of information here. There's lots of maps, buildings. Um, I think the fact that like each college kind of has like two sort of like um, study type things like we talked about with Lorehold. There's order and chaos. Um, and and I like that there's this idea of like, hey, there's like different, you know, types of things um, that you can do within the college. Like, um, so I, I like that. And then, you know, we get NPCs for each college. And um, we also get like, uh, I'm just going to use the one from Prismari. So Prismari has, there's 12 different types of, uh, like, scholars within it. And so there's, like, the Aesthetomancer, which is studying abs 
abstract principles of beauty for insight into the workings of the multiverse. Um, electro visionary wielding the forms of light lightning and a paint as a paintbrush flame singer combining fire and music geo sculptor using earth and lava and volatile emotional displays heart rager turning inner creative fire into personal strength ice sculptor crafting ice and cold into immersive experiences mist mage um muse channeler projecting blasts of inspiration toward others and so every single college has these kind of like hey these are the types of people that might be there now prismari i think has the most with 12 but there's like 10 in lorehold eight in quandrix um yep uh silver quill has like eight and witherbloom has eight and so and and also each of the colleges has different type. it's not like oh here's a dorm and this and this there's like specific buildings that are only at each college you know like you're not going to find um like the the rose stage um or whatever it's called like it's not like there's like a big giant you know concert hall at every college um and so it's just neat that there are unique things for each uh for each college Evan, what do you think about kind of the lore, the the general setting of of Strixhaven? Do you like it? Not like it? You got some things that you enjoy or not? I'm to be perfectly honest, I think I'm mostly ambivalent about it. Um, as far as the lore goes, I think there's a lot of cool ideas. Um, I like the I like, like uh, Joe mentioned. I like the duality mentioned in the uh, colleges. I think that's a cool concept. Then you can absolutely see, you know, the Match of the Gathering influence and, you know, tying the different uh, mana aspects in there. Um, but I mean, overall, I mean, lore-wise, I don't think it's bad necessarily, but I mean, I wasn't particularly blown away by it either. All right. Um, I, I think we've kind of covered some of the lore we can get. Maybe we can do like a big lore episode at some point um if people want that uh but let's talk about um let's talk about chapter two we get into some character options um and there's been a little bit of controversy on some of these things out there on the internet uh but let's first talk there's there's no real uh subclasses here um we get a lot of the backgrounds which is more or less based in what college that you actually pick but i think what i like about them is the fact that it gives more magic options available for um your characters and that kind of ties into like the different uh titles and stuff that you could interact with um from the different colleges that it's like oh i'm not just you know, a necromancer or an evocation wizard. I'm about a vivifier or something like that. Like that's kind of a cool thing to kind of pull together. Yeah, I think I think that's really neat. We'll get into the backgrounds in just a second here. There is one race option, uh, which is the owlin, and we've got about the shortest racial description ever. Oh yeah, of any race. It's, I mean, you could count the sentences. It's. Mm-hmm. I've it's six sentences about uh what an owlin is 
and um, you get flight, you get you get proficiency proficiency in stealth. You can choose if you're medium or small, and uh, you have dark vision. And I I personally feel like this was just it could have just been the Aarakocra. And yeah. it's a version of the Aarakocra, and that that's it. I. I am a little concerned that this is what we're going to end up getting with more and more of our races that yeah. for fear of judgment, which we talked about a little bit in our, in the errata section earlier, that, that Owlin entry here, I hope this is not what we're going to get for um, racial descriptions going forward, where it's like, Here's six sentences about what they look like. And uh, it, he, here's four abilities that we decided to give them that that kind of makes sense around it. Um, I agree. It's it's a little concerning, but six sentences, six sentences in a picture. <laughs> like hey, the Owling's adorable, though. I will give it that. Yeah, it's true. Um, so. Uh, if you are running like a full-on Strixhaven campaign, they give you these five backgrounds that Joe was talking about earlier, and it's all just Lorehold student, Silverquill student, Prismari, Witherbloom, etc. Um, and these give you a couple of interesting things. So, as normal, they give you skill proficiencies, languages, maybe some equipment, uh, just like any other background in D&D. But then they also give you the feat, um, which is a Strixhaven initiate feat. And uh, then you're also going to, you basically get a couple of spells uh, that you're going to have throughout the game. What this does is, this, the I think these five backgrounds are very balanced with each other. But I would not let somebody pick one of these backgrounds in, like, say, a, like, you know, some other campaign. Like, if I was running a Tomb of Annihilation campaign, yeah. I would not say, oh, yeah, you can be the Lorehold student. You're going to gain, like, you know, eight spells, like, on your spell list, like, that you get to add to them. And also, you're going to get, like, you know, these other kind of bonuses, um, just because I feel like they get it's a little imbalanced compared to what you know backgrounds are have had previously i agree like yeah. it really depends on the kind of campaign that you're running that it, yeah and this kind of ties into what i was saying earlier about if your world or the setting that you're going in has some sort of famous magic institution it would make more sense to be able to allow like these backgrounds or the, or the feats from Strixhaven to be picked. Cause at least then you can kind of rationalize it to meet your world's conditions uh, where, or just in general for a campaign that has more like high magic, uh, a high magic atmosphere to it. Yeah. Um, so, so basically the feat that is given to each of the different um, backgrounds uh, ends up giving you two cantrips and then gives you a uh, a first level spell from 
it kind of narrows down the list. So for Lorehold, you get you choose one first level cleric or wizard spell. Uh, then for Prismari, it's one first level bard or sorcerer spell. And druid or wizard, bard or cleric, druid or wizard. Um, but it's it's just it feels like man, three bonus spells at first level is maybe a little much, especially since you still get those cantrip bonuses that that level with your character. So um, now there's some cool stuff. I like the idea of being a barbarian who also has firebolt and ray of frost and a first level sorcerer spell that they get to you know have on top of whatever else they have but um you know i think there's uh what do you how do you guys feel about that evan what are your thoughts on these backgrounds in the uh in the this feat uh the strict saving initiate feat I, I'm just going to echo what everyone else has said. I think if you're running this specific Strixhaven campaign, they're fine. I think if you're running any other campaign in a Strixhaven or, you know, any other... If you're using material in this book as a basis for a campaign, they're fine. In any other setting, um, you're going to want to check with your DM. Like, and if I'm the DM, I'm going to think long and hard about it and probably say no. Especially if you're starting at first level. If you're starting at a higher level, I feel like it's not as big a deal. But I feel like, yeah, it probably doesn't balance. <sighs> I don't know. I have, to, I have to muse on it a little bit. But I don't... I I, I don't know. I, I feel like... I, I, again, I feel like if everybody's starting off with it... It's, again, it's not a huge deal. Because, again, if everybody is a strict saving student, it doesn't matter. But, yeah, I don't... I see, it doesn't... I guess it doesn't jive with me if it's just that one person. Because, again, if the person's picking it out and it's just any other... If it's some other random campaign... It doesn't make as much sense to me. Because what's a Strixhaven student doing, you know, playing in, you know, Curse of Strahd or Storm King's Thunder then at that point? Yep. I, I, I don't know. Right. It doesn't make as much sense to me. E either, you know, roleplay-wise or mechanics-wise and balance-wise. So, yeah, I don't... I, I, I'm going to have to cry, cry foul on that, I feel like, as a DM. Yep. Um, They have a couple of magic items there. None of them make very much sense outside of the Strixhaven world. Um, uh, I do think that the uh, cuddly Strixhaven mascot is interesting since it gives you a uh, gives you advantage on uh, a saving throw to avoid or end the frightened condition on yourself. Um, there's just some like there's some silly stuff like that. But again, it's all very tied into the uh, into the game. Honestly, campaign. Yeah, yeah on, honestly, I was a little surprised that there were literally only eight. Now, hold on. Was that two, four, six? Yeah, eight magic items in a book at a magical college. Yeah, I was a little disappointed because they kind of um, pumped up like, oh, there's some great magical items. And it's like, uh, there's like the magic item page is literally a page, a page. <laughs> yep. and five of five of the items that are there are basically hey here's each college's primer that they all do the same thing just minor difference depending on what college primer it is right it's basically just a uh uh just like a bonus um for your skills that come from there so uh, you give yourself a 1d4 bonus uh, 
to an ability check on whatever two skills came with your your class um and so and actually similarly to that that the number of new spells that were were introduced as well that that's less than a page as well for again an entire plane dedicated to magic from a magic the gathering set but right this is the most unique stuff in there and they're all lower level spells i believe right we we could have t- yeah the they're all first or second level spells um and all I, the magic items are common or uncommon yeah well cuz they're just really basic stuff i i would have loved to see them basically cut out all of chapter 4 and 5 or 5 and 6 and just given us hey chapter 4 is magic items like yeah. chapter five is an expanded spell list and that would have made this mm. much more intriguing as both a dm and a player i mean if somebody was like oh i don't really dm dnd i just play i would say well you never need to buy this book uh yeah because the owlin is an error crocra uh and everything else is only if you're playing in this book and if you're playing in this book your dm probably has it and can share it with you because there's just so little in here for for being a player even even if you were playing in this world i would like i can't imagine this it's it's striking because i feel like we've gotten some books that are really great for players and dms recently and this is one that is really shoehorned this is like yeah dm for harry potter world here you go and it's a hard recommend to to a lot of people but um yeah yeah i'll i'll, I'll come back i was gonna say something I'll, I'll i'll say it later okay let's get into chapter three um school is in session now, this is weird because basically the first half of this chapter, the first 20 pages of it, are all the new rules and NPCs uh, that people can interact with, which I think is the brightest shining star of this book. And then the second half of this chapter is uh, like an introduction to the campaign, basically, like basically your first yeah. your first little mini adventure. And I mean... Seriously, I feel like you could probably run through the entire campaign of this in like six sessions, depending on how much role playing people wanted to do. Yeah, maybe more. But as far as what they're offering you, it's, uh, you know. Yeah, I don't know. It's. It is what it is. Um, <clears throat> But let's get into the good stuff. Chapter three, running the adventure. Uh, We get some really fun new things here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, probably my favorite thing here is, um, relationships. Um, so, uh, you basically, there's a number of NPC students, uh, on campus. And as you interact with them in different ways, you can gain or lose relationship points with them. Um, they basically have three levels with you, either a friend, uh, which is two relationship points, a beloved, which is three relationship points, 
or a rival, which is negative two relationship points. And you're going to um, gain relationship points based on what classes you're in, what extracurriculars your character's in, and uh, if you have a job on campus. Um, and you're going to get the... It, what's cool is that there are some mechanical things uh, that each of these different NPCs give you based on if you're a friend or rival or kind of neutral with them. Um, there's also extracurricular... Um, Uh, sorry, there's uh, different extracurriculars uh, that people can join. Now, they can only join like a certain number of them, depending on like how their grades are and stuff like that. Um, which starting to get a little real. Yeah, it's a little it's bit. A, you can't be on a little the bit team if you're failing math. <laughs> like... I will say, though, is that the. Uh... Student dice that Strixhaven introduces, though, is actually a very it's a almost I'd say a better concept than just the inspiration tokens that are just generally handed out because it gives a little bit more of a benefit to the player and a little bit more than just um oh, hey, I can just re-roll this. I use my inspiration to re-roll this. Hey, I have a little bit more of a pool, and I can change. I can exchange those to my other students or use it for them. But the other part of it is just you have extra rolls of bless and without bless. Yeah, I mean, I think that we're going to see... I think we're starting to see things that will be in the 6th edition or the next edition or whatever starting to creep in. I think advantage uh you know is very powerful uh in fifth edition and so i think instead giving somebody hey here's like a d4 that you get to add to a skill check once you use it you can't use it again until you uh you know take a long rest i think makes a lot more sense um yeah. or or is maybe a lot more balanced of a bonus maybe um and you well, get these student oh go ahead I was just going to say, or it gives a little bit more incentive to kind of pull it into, hey, if you accomplish something small within the world instead of uh, most of the like inspiration tokens of just being told, give it out when your players do something cool or circumvent something you didn't expect. Like this gives a little bit more of a, hey, if you accomplish these little minor goals throughout the session, you'll be able to have these resources to be able to give yourself uh, benefits for other more challenging encounters. Um, yeah, and Evan, what are your thoughts on the student dice uh, that you get throughout this this uh, this idea here? I think it's a cool idea, but like with a lot of cool ideas, I'm more interested to see how it works at the table as much as anything else. Um, all right, and let's talk a little bit about the relationship um stuff um uh, so um uh who do we want to talk about let's see i think um there's what maybe 15 or 20 different npc students who are in these different maybe more maybe it's i don't know it's about it's, a, it's a big chunk of uh yeah. chapter three for them but if there's one thing and this is actually probably the other unique thing that I've seen in this book compared to 
uh, some of the previous ones that we've gotten recently is this, here's the actual NPC portrait. Here's an actual blurb about them and how they may uh, interact with you if you're friend or foe, effectively. And I feel like if if Wizards continues along this kind of path for introducing um, whether it's key key fact uh, key people to a campaign or a setting, but also just hey, here's some drop in NPCs. Here's kind of how they actually role play versus just a name and a paragraph before this. This makes it feel more like a real NPC. Yeah. Um, so I just uh, I wanted to pick one of these to talk about. So here's Rosie, a.k.a. Rosie Myth and Bip was Fendilim's. Um, She's a chaotic good gnome, first year student in the College of Warhold, and she participates in the live action role playing guild. Uh, Um, X with Rosie, you have a, a bond bane, and whenever you participate in sports on campus, fouls are constantly called on you. So I like this idea that, like, hey, like your relationship, you know, in three point five, there was like creatures or npcs are you know hostile or friendly and maybe there were a couple other things in between those two but it didn't really define like it, it wasn't very individual to the person and i love that it's like hey here's 20 npcs they're not super inte- integral to the story but depending on how you have interacted with them throughout the story you're going to get little bonuses or negatives based on, on your relationship with them. And I think that that is probably, if there was one thing in this book that I'm like, going to use that, going to steal that like for homebrew campaigns or anything else. Mm. That's probably what I'm going to take out of here. I agree. I, I do really like what they did with these NPCs like that, that little mechanical bonus or that little bit of, insight into how this character actually acts makes it more yeah you you hear all these different stories from other other players other dms of oh i just i put this npc in and my players absolutely love them or hey this person that was supposed to be a friend to them they turned them into the the big bad for the end of the campaign because of what my players did yeah um, Evan, your thoughts on these NPCs or on this like relationship system? I think the relationship system is kind of brilliant. Um, it kind of takes and codifies what I think a lot of DMs were doing anyway and makes it a lot easier to keep track of, um, to keep an idea of, okay, these are all these different NPCs and these are how the party can interact with them. I think it makes it a lot easier to, I mean, you're kind of, like saying, like keep track of, you know, okay. This, you know, character can be a friend or a foe, depending on, you know, what the party does and how they play it. And um, I love the idea of just how they're statted out. Like, if you were so enterprising, you could probably put it, all that information on just like an index card or something. 
and just gives me an idea, like Joe was saying, or you know, you know, just stealing it for a future campaign. If you wanted to just stat up like a future NPC and just put it on an index card, you know, uh, Bob the guard. Um, Bob, you know, doesn't really isn't very uh, invested in his job, and you know, is just looking to make a decent uh, wage at the end of the day. If the party befriends him, you know, he'll you know make sure they get tips, and you know, he's willing to look the other way for them. If the party makes him an enemy, um, you know, maybe the guard's going to be always, you know, a little bit more on time than they were before. You know, just little little things like that. It just, again, you know, I think it's a really great system. And again, I think DMs were probably already doing similar things, but it just, you know, kind of takes it and gives a very concrete system to it. And I think that's really cool. All right, let's talk a little bit. Uh, we'll just kind of go over exams, which is another mechanic where basically throughout the campaign, uh, your character is going to be given these different exams. And uh, there's basically a studying phase and then a testing phase. Um, and uh, how you do on your exams is going to uh, reflect, like there's going to be some bonuses or negatives depending on what you do. So um, during the studying phase, you can, you can just study or you can study together with somebody else. And if you have a, a group study, you get advantage on your ability check during the studying phase. Um, you can totally skip studying. Um, so then you won't gain any re-rolls uh, later. Uh, you can also pull an all-nighter. Um, and that gives you two re-rolls to use during the next testing phase. Um, and however, it does give you one level of exhaustion uh, that takes effect at the start of the day of the exam. So, um, <laughs> start to feel real, <laughs> a little too real. It's it's it, it's college. They, they yeah. basically they statted out college classes for you. Um. So then, during the testing phase, uh, there are going to be basically some ability checks um, around the test. And uh, you've if you if you fail all of those checks, um, you have failed the test. If you have at least one successful ability check, the character is passed, um, and the character gains one student die. And if they get two successful ability checks, they have aced the exam, and the character gains two student dice. Um, an I'm going to read this little section that says cheating. An unscrupulous character can cheat on an exam. Doing so requires a successful charisma check and a successful dexterity check, both using the DC set for the exam. Character cheats. They can't use any rerolls from their studying phase. If the character fails either of these checks, a proctor or other authority figure notices the cheating. The student automatically fails the exam. The charisma and dexterity checks are both successful. The character successfully cheats and aces the exam. Um, and so uh, you basically, if you fail an exam, you have to go to tutoring. Um, they can't take part in any extracurriculars or jobs until they achieve at least a past exam during one of that actor's exam encounters. So uh, you lose some playing ability there if you don't take any time to study. Again, this is something that fits in Strixhaven. 
maybe it's like kind of a cool idea for like if you were doing something in candle keep or or something yeah. else where there might be some kind of like exam to get into somewhere to a society of some sort uh, you could use that mechanic but it's just like it's just like a little more complicated yeah ability it, yep you know, it's complicating ahead. ability checks <laughs> yeah i mean now the one thing that i do kind of like what the other benefit like the basic benefit of the exams are you get this you get student dice if you pass these ability checks that that's cool Th this is kind of what i was talking about with the uh instead of oh the dm just hands out inspiration tokens at at a whim this kind of gives a reason for how you can gain student dice inspiration tokens whatever you want to call them for these different games the other benefit to the exams is that if you do pass may actually influence part of the upcoming part of the chapter while running Strixhaven. So it kind of gives another incentive to, hey, you want to try and actually pass these things instead of just, it's classes, see what happens. Yeah, I, I do think that, like, an invested party and an invested DM would have a lot of fun with the Strixhaven campaign. So I don't want to like throw this book totally under the under the bus here, uh, the school bus, if you will. Um, <laughs> sorry, but we can talk about that in a little bit when we kind of wrap things up. Um, let's talk about uh, chapter seven, which is a pretty cool chapter because uh, we've got um, chapter seven is our friends and foe friends and foes sorry and we get maybe i don't know like if you take out all the college apprentices and pledge mages we've still got like 20 25 like new um enemies in here yep. um, that are stat blocked out and some of them are really cool so did you guys have any favorites that you wanted to talk about um so through if personally to me I love the mascots. They are a cool little creature that actually are like varied enough that you could throw these guys into kind of anything. It's not just oh the lorehole mascot or the uh, the witherbloom pests kind of things. They're they're cool little creatures on their own. But if I had to actually pick a favorite out of all of the creatures in here. Groff is my favorite, and it's primarily because of the care of the artwork. For Absolutely, it. yeah. It's a plant dog. Who wouldn't love it? Reminds me of Falcor the Luck Dragon. Um, I can't find him right now. What page is he? One ninety four. One ninety four. Oh, okay. Oh, there he is, Groff. Yeah, it very very cool looking. I, I agree with you about the mascots. The five mascots in here are awesome. You could throw them into any campaign, I feel like. Um, also, I think what's really cool is that each school ends up getting... Uh, they get like their Lorehold Apprentice, Lorehold Pledge Mage. But then you also get a professor of each... like. Um, like mastery within there. So for instance, Lorehold, you get a professor of chaos and a professor of order. Um, you know, and 
these are i would say you know for a level you know one through ten campaign these end up being like kind of not end bossy but they're you know they're gonna be like a significant if if they're going up if if your party's going up against them they're going to be like a significant challenge especially especially if they're supported by some of the other like um lower level members of that college so i think i think that's really cool um evan did you have anything in here that you really wanted to talk about or highlight i really like the groth um i think i think the dragons are cool yeah the dragons awesome yeah i I I don't know how you how you'd use them outside the campaign necessarily but i think they're cool the a little bit of a sadist in me really enjoys the mage hunter entry as well. Yeah. And it's primarily because this feels like the kind of thing that you would want to throw at a party that's like, oh, they've been stomping through everything else that you've been throwing at them. But here's this thing that uh, just to kind of throw out a little bit of just how deadly this thing is. It's got magic sense which it can actually look through everything it's able to climb walls it can track anything that has a magic and uh like it, it that exudes magic in a way and it can shift into different things so this is something that you can just stalk your party members with and they not even suspect it yeah, I think I think that that is like kind of a cool thing, and I actually think the uh, like the uh, or you know the bad guys, the Oryx, are those are of, also very good. I think they're kind of a cool thing to be like, hey, like you could put these very easily into a like into you know a game where magic was like outlawed or there was like an anti magic cult or something like that you know um you could pretty easily have that be something that you that you have like in in that like uh in that world you know that you could cross over honestly i'm a little also surprised that of one of the why the orc mask ability of theirs why that wasn't just entered as a magic item for Strixhaven. Cause I feel like, I feel like that's actually kind of a cool thing that it's, you know, you can't be scried or, uh, perceived upon, but you also get bonus to your charisma for, you know, certain, certain characters or something that that would be effective on or for, you know, like some boss characters or something. It's, it's a cool thing. It is cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I think you get some cool monsters in this book for sure. Um or or at least, you know, interesting bad guys. And really, you could take the like the college student stat blocks and you could make like a like guild out of them. Um Right. I agree. It it, it kind of expands on the uh, the the base monster manual entries for like generic mage or arc mage that this gives them a little bit more flavor and a little bit more uniqueness versus you know putting more burden on the DM to basically be like okay I know I want to put some sort of caster 
into this encounter, but I don't want to have to go through and pick out all of these different spells or have to go through and just be choosy of uh, what the Archmage template may be or something in that, or initiate. Here, one of these uh, professors or um, uh, what are they? The apprentices, the pledge mages, each of those give a variety of level and definitely is a lot more helpful for uh, depending on what, you know, range your running of your games you end up getting like a, a pretty good book here honestly like if you want to run harry potter or something like it in D, you've got a great framework here um and you know if you don't want to do anything you can just totally follow the book um and you don't have to worry about much at all i mean i think there's a lot of good ideas here but just thinking to myself you know would i ever run the campaign in this book Eh, probably not, but I definitely would use a lot of the ideas in here and like definitely use, you know, the uh, relationship system, and, you know, the school system and like the maybe not the exam necessarily, but uh, keeping track of uh, jobs and like the, the tracking sheet, that sort of thing. I could just see myself yeah. using aspects of that in a campaign. Obviously, uh, running as a DM, uh, the monsters in this are fantastic and yeah. can probably be dropped into just a, just about any other campaign. Between that and the like the boons and banes, those are actually really nice concepts that go beyond Strixhaven and could easily be used in a multitude of games. And as well, just how like the NPC stat blocks, like I could, I could pick one of those that, yeah, they're a student, but now they're a guard at this place and their personality is still the same though. Right. Um, and aside from those, like the, while we didn't really get into the actual like campaign chapters, but each chapter also did include like a little mini game or chat, like different kind of ability challenge. Um, that those could easily be brought into other social encounters or just little minor events uh, in other campaigns. Yeah, I I think that there's a lot of stuff that you can pull from here and, and use. And I think that the chapters, again, you know, there's some cool encounters in there that, you know, if you need a tavern encounter, they've got some cool stuff in there. If you want to do... Um, you know, some of the like dungeoneering -y type things, you know, they've they've got some stuff in there to pull. Again, I think that the book really shines mostly with its NPC system and its relationship system. I think that, you know, there's some cool stuff that you can pull into games pretty easily. But again, I think this book ends up being much more of a DMs book and much less of something that I would say, oh, like every everybody should pick this up, you know. Um, I I just, agree with that. Yeah, there's just there's not enough there for a player. I feel like, and you know, when you compare it to something like uh, like Fizban's Treachery of Dragons, where you've got you know multiple different racial bonuses and some subclasses and stuff, it that feels like there's more there for for a player character maybe um certainly something like Ben Richten's Guide to Ravenloft where you've got you know 
lots of different like story elements and setting type things um that can give you a lot of ideas i think that that's something that you know everybody who's into D can enjoy but i think this one really is more niche than than most of the books that we've gotten um okay um so that does it for this episode joe thank you very much for joining us uh you're welcome on the show anytime my pleasure look forward to coming back again evan a pleasure as always thank you for having me as well (laughs) and uh we'll be back uh soon our next episode will be about the cleric so we'll be breaking that stuff down um Thank you for listening to this episode of Monster Soundwave, an unofficial D&D podcast. Uh, We hope that you're enjoying things out there. The best thing you can do for the show is to like, subscribe, share it with other people. Give us a five star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast service you listen to. And we hope that you have a great time gaming.